1: it should keep you up at night. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, appears at Houston Chronicle. Dot com Jeremy, I'm not going to ask you how you're doing this week because I already know you have been all over the state. you should be fairly worn down. I can see from your face there's still some energy left in you, but I hope you get some rest this weekend last weekend was extremely emotional. Would you like to explain why?
2: Yeah, that's pretty much the hardest day of reporting I've done you know since nine eleven you know it's like to to look in the faces of people who have lost their children. And tried to explain to mm. us what they're going through. That's what we listened to as the, the the folks from Uvalde, a lot of those families came to the Capitol to let us know what life is like for them right now.
1: Yeah, they also want to let leadership in Austin know what they would want the Republican governor and legislature to do, right? And what they want is for the age to be raised for legal purchase of some of these firearms. And they were there early in the morning, Jeremy. At 5 a.m., these parents were playing uh, the audio from video of their children speaking before they had been killed, uh, which is one thing you'll hear in this. And then the other thing you'll hear uh, is one of the fathers shouting through a bullhorn uh, at the governor's mansion saying that if the governor, um, uh, you know, if he doesn't act soon, then it's just proof of the fact that he just doesn't care.
3: Oh, Abbott, for the rest of the year. Come out here. I know you can hear this. These are our children's voices. This is all we have left, because you do not give a damn. No, this is Miss you I care more about our place.
0: guns than Hello, you do our children.
1: Ma'am. Now why were they out there so early in the morning?
0: Hi, my name is Jasmine Gusitas. I'm from Uvalde, Texas, and I lost my little sister Jacqueline and my little cousin Annabelle at the shooting at Robert Elementary. We just got back from the governor's mansion. We are protesting outside around 5 a.m. and we were playing video clips of the 19 kids and two teachers that were lost over on repeat so loud that the governor wouldn't be able to sleep because we're not able to sleep at night.
1: Jeremy, of course, you remember when Governor Abbott said that what happened in Uvalde could have been that much worse. That was at that uh, news conference the day after the shooting. Of course, in the meantime, we found out that uh, that is the exact opposite of the truth, that uh, officers were standing in the hallway for more than an hour. And these parents made the point, and it's a point that we've made here on the program previously, is that it's not just what comes after the shooting or during the shooting when the officers are standing in the hall, it's also about what happens before a shooting like this. What laws are in place that allow for a young man to go and do this? And and before he pulls the trigger and starts killing people, he hasn't broken any laws up to that point. Well, that uh, comment from Abbott didn't set well with the family of Amarillo Garza, who was 10 when she was killed.
0: No, Governor, the tragedy in Uvalde should have never happened in the first place. Don't make Texas worse, Mr. Abbott. We demand you immediately call a special session to raise the age limit to 21, which, by the way, should have been done more than three months ago.
1: She and other parents and other family members were there to push Abbott to call a special session to raise the age for buying an AR 15. Here is the sister of teacher Eva Morellas, who was also killed at Robb Elementary.
0: My sister did not have to die for this, it was too easy for this punk to buy these weapons and easily do what he did because of the laws that are in place. These laws should have changed a long time ago. Many other shootings before. My sister, Miss Irma, and all the kids did not have to go through this. Do not let them die in vain. Vote him out.
1: Of course, she means vote Abbott out. Anna Rodriguez reminded everybody about the pain of these last three months since she last hugged her daughter.
0: It's been over three months since I last hugged my daughter, seen her smile, heard her laugh, held her hand, or kissed her goodnight. Maite was brutally murdered on May 24th of 2022 by a sick, evil, and mentally unstable kid. I say kid because that's exactly what he was. Legally, he was considered an adult, but we all see where this 18-year-old individual's mentality state was was at. Yet, this 18-year-old was able to legally purchase two assault weapons and ammunition to take the life of my precious daughter, along with 18 children and two teachers.
1: Jeremy, as you were tweeting out some of the videos from this event, one thing I noticed was that it seemed like your camera work was a little shaky. Would you tell us why?
2: Yeah. um, So uh, as you're listening to these moms and dads, you know, it's like it's impossible not Mm -hmm. to feel the emotion of, like, yeah. No, nothing trained me in J school for what how do you write while trying to wipe tears from your eyes? Um, because there's gonna be times where you just can't can't handle it. And I was kinda holding it together uh up until the point uh where it's one of the the, the, the little boys, a seven year old boy, reached over yeah. to pat his mm-hmm. mom on the shoulder to Give her comfort as she was talking about, yeah, you know, his little brother or his older brother being killed that day. And that just pretty much brings it all home. And you just, as you're looking at these kids and as you hear these voices, understand that next week, these children should be in a classroom going to the fifth grade in Uvalde. It's like these parents have trying to figure out, like, how do you. Not prepare for school. And you're thinking about the kids who did survive that day, who are throwing on backpacks and going into school again. And it's like, and to me, mm-hmm. I don't know how all of this works. I don't know. And you can see a lot of these families, they're going through all those stages of grief, right? You hear the anger for some, yeah. you hear, you know, some of them talking about their children, like they're you know, with them right now. You know, they have one, mm-hmm. one man was, was talking about the letter he wrote for his daughter, who is obviously not there anymore. All these different ways to mm-hmm. kind of deal with this grief. And it is just, it'll just tear you apart, but it's so important for us to hear their voices, you know, I would really kind of let, you know, and Veronica Mata uh, was the last person who spoke and uh like, you mm-hmm. know, she's Tess Mata's, you know, mom, and she ended up reading off a mm-hmm. list of all of the children who died that day. I would really kind of encourage people to, to go to my Twitter page and pull out that video and just kind of listen to it. Just know those names because mm-hmm. these, it's not just kids. It's like, it's literally, it's Xavier and Jace and and uh, Mate, it's, it's it's real people, it's real kids, like who are gone, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's like if 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 you want to feel the emotion, go through that Twitter line and, and just kind of hear people and what they have to say about their children.
1: You know, I would say it's a it's a journalistic service uh, because you need to have real context for what people are going through when you're going to then talk about and debate a policy prescription. It doesn't mean that you agree with whether you know with whatever their answer is, uh, but you should at least hear. What they have to say when they're going through it one of the comments i saw from one of the parents that really hit me was and you know we've talked a lot jeremy about how when these tragedies happen um it might take a couple of weeks a month two months three months whatever before it starts to fade and people stop talking about it uh you know it generally people writ large to start stop talking about these things uh, after a certain you know point because hey it's not that it's not important but but other things happen um, and other priorities uh, you know, come into focus for people. Uh, but one of the comments from one of the parents was simply to say, it may be three months ago to you, but it's every day for me. Now, in North Texas, Governor Abbott uh, answered these folks uh, when he was asked a question at a news conference. So I believe you were present at that as well, Jeremy. You were everywhere. You were in Austin then up in the Dallas area. This was in uh, Collin County in Allen. Can you yes. set this up? What was what was going on?
2: Yeah, this was uh, you know, Governor Greg Abbott was, you know, supposed to be doing a door-to-door event where he was going to be knocking on doors with volunteers to, you know, reach out to voters. Uh, and so he, in Allen, Texas, you know, he comes into you know this one neighborhood and you know is knocking on doors to greet voters, get trying to encourage them to get out the vote. After that, mm-hmm. he spoke to the you know, group of media who had assembled, including myself.
1: Yeah, and he was asked the question, what do you think about what these parents are saying, that the legal age requirement for buying some of these firearms ought to be moved up to 21? There
2: have been three court rulings uh, since May uh, that have made it clear that it is unconstitutional to ban someone between the ages of 18 and 20 from being able to buy an A-arm. That came out of the Federal Court of Appeals, and then there was a Supreme Court decision uh, that was in line that upheld it, and then after that, most recently, a federal court in the state of Texas struck down the Texas law uh, that banned people between the ages of 18 and 20 for buying a handgun. So it's clear that the gun control law that they are seeking in Uvalde, as much as they may want it, it has already been ruled
1: to be unconstitutional. He's saying that the requirement they want uh, has been found by the courts to be unconstitutional. Jeremy, as if questions about constitutionality have ever prevented the Texas legislature from taking a specific action. Uh, Brett Cross, uh, his son, was also among those killed. In fact, he was the guy you heard at the beginning screaming on the bullhorn, telling Abbott that he needs to get up, wake up, come outside and talk to them. Uh, Cross said that Abbott is way off base to say that there's nothing that he can do.
3: Hey, Abbott. Just saw your lovely little video about how it's unconstitutional to raise the age to 21 with signs behind you saying parents matter. What parents are you referring to exactly? Because it's not us here in Uvalde. I spoke to you face to face and you said you wouldn't even try. So obviously we don't matter to you. I asked you if you could name the victims, you couldn't, you said not off the top of your head. Hell, you couldn't even name my son. His name is Uzziah. Don't sit there and act like you are for the people. You're our governor and you should be, but you're not. All you give a damn about is making money. Come and talk to me again. I've already, I've already told everybody what you have said that. Raising the law wouldn't have changed nothing because of Santa Fe. Except it would have. You see, that piece of shit that murdered our children legally bought that damn gun. Legally. You could do something about it. You're just too chicken shit to do it. So don't sit there and act like you're for the people, that you're for the parents, that you're for the children because you don't give a damn. But I implore you, make a liar out of me call a special session, or don't, and prove me right. Choice is
1: yours, buddy. Folks don't know um, much about the mechanics of a special session of the Texas legislature. Most folks don't. So I'll tell you how it works. The governor is the only human on earth who is empowered to call the Texas legislature into a special session. He can't make them actually do anything. He can just kind of fire the starting gun, if you will, forgive the pun. And then the legislature debates laws and they figure out what they can accept. And then they will send something to the governor's desk for his signature or veto, uh, you know, and they may not do that. They may not come up with any actual solution. So if you want to kickstart the process and get it going, what has to happen is the governor has to take on a leadership role and demand that lawmakers put something specific on his desk. Right? And look, the governor, as you saw last year, can call multiple special sessions. He can make the law, you know, make the lawmakers keep on coming back month after month after month if he's not getting what he wants on his desk, which they get tired of um, and they eventually are compliant, usually. Folks think that a special session of the legislature has to last 30 days. It does not. It can be over the second that they are done with their work. And so I have seen, Jeremy, and this this goes right to uh, the question of exercising power. I have seen the Texas Senate. This happened last year on the electricity repricing bill, which some critics of Lieutenant Governor Patrick had said was probably enriching some of his donors. That was the criticism. Um, the bill to do that was introduced and heard in a committee and passed on the Senate floor on the same day, right? So... If you had a bill that would raise the age for these firearms to 21, they could do the same thing. I think in the House, it would take maybe a couple of days if they put it on a fast track. You know, They have to get organized and there's a couple of other things that have to happen in the House. But the bottom line is that I do believe you could have a special session on this sole topic if the governor was demanding it and the Speaker of the House and the Lieutenant Governor were on the same page. The special session could last, I don't know, two or three, maybe four days max, and they would have it done. It's not like it has to turn into some big liability for the governor, that they start debating other things right before the election and all of that. I made a comment similar to what I just said on Twitter during the protests by the Uvalde uh, parents on on Saturday last week, or last weekend. Um, and I had some Republican legislators reach out to me privately and say, the key to all of it is the word lead that governor abbott would have to lead on this and jeremy he's just not doing that in fact you can all you can tell at that news conference he really doesn't even really want to be asked about it
2: yeah this is not like what we saw after parkland in florida when governor rick scott was the governor of of Florida and he like he made that happen. He made that age change happen. He put all kinds of pressure on the legislature, you know, including on Republicans to come along and vote on that thing. You know, Abbott theoretically could do that same thing. He is choosing not to do that for all kinds of his own reasons, who knows what they fully all are. Obviously, he he's telling us he thinks it's potentially unconstitutional what mm-hmm. have you. But again, Remember what we're talking about here. It's like these people on the doorsteps of the Capitol, they're not activists. They're not gun control people. You know, I talked to uh, Javier Cazares, his daughter, Jackie, is one of the children who were passed away. And I was asking him just, just having to even be there. And he's like, you know, this is not the job he wanted. It's like he's just Jackie's dad. He's not like asking Abbott, you know, as a legislator or can you do you know, make these political calculations. He's asking one question as like t- on behalf of his daughter. He told me it's like, you know, I just got to keep fighting. That's something I promised her and I promised her I'll never stop. You know, I will, mm. you know. And so and there's some point where like, you know, Abbott's got to communicate to these families in a different way than like their politicians. It's like these are just families who are grieving. You know, if he wants to kind of slow this down, it's going to take something else other than him giving us some constitutional reverb of something he heard somewhere from some court of appeals somewhere. It's like, no, no, talk to these people like they just buried their children two months ago. Maybe that will kind of bring you down to where they are. They are not Republicans and Democrats. They're just parents.
1: Well, and by the way, in that specific community in that area, a lot of them are Republicans. That's a Trump county, right? I mean, th- this is this is not a bunch of liberals who descended on Austin to tell us, the, you know, what our gun laws ought to be. I would add this: that simply this that 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 leadership means coming up with an idea. Like, let's say that it is unconstitutional. For sake of discussion, let's say it is unconstitutional. In fact, let's play it all the way out and say that the very conservative Supreme Court that we now have. Has said that it's unconstitutional, which they haven't actually done. And you look at um, Taylor Goldenstein's excellent story in the uh, Houston Chronicle, you have an unsettled area of the law with this. So if it was unconstitutional, the governor could come up with other ideas. Has he offered one idea for dealing with guns and put it in front of the legislature to have them vote up or down on it? Well, The kinds of things that they have voted on are running in the exact opposite direction. I will have some lawmakers point out to me, and they have done this over and over again. They say, well, you know, constitutional carry, that doesn't have anything to do with what happened in Uvalde. Campus carry, that didn't have anything to do with what happened in Uvalde. They'll say all of the other things, you know, open carry, that has nothing to do with what happened in Uvalde. And I'll say, okay, but what did you do to stop it? Everything that you're talking about is 180 degrees in the other direction. Everything you're talking about is putting as many guns as possible in as many places as possible rather than going in the other direction. If you were serious about fixing this, you'd come up with something, but they have not. Now, let's give the governor his due. It's not like he's really just hanging everybody out to dry completely. I mean, he did call this guy. To help, I'm Chuck Norris. I love bringing bad guys to justice. Chuck Norris, seriously? What was what was your favorite uh, Chuck Norris movie, Jeremy? We did so we we had some movie references last week.
2: Yeah, well, uh, Lone Wolf McQuade was that one? The one that he was based out of El Paso? <laughs> that thing was a that was a classic.
1: Yeah, of course. For me, it would be Braddock, missing in action. <laughs> of course. And of course, folks in Texas, well, my father used to always talk about it, it, quoting the movie Braddock. <laughs> I'm going to get you, Braddock. Um, uh, of course, everyone knows uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. All right, Chuck Norris. Really? What's he going to do? The law enforcement can't stop the bad guys if they don't know who they are. That's why I wanted to tell you about iWatch, a website, phone app, and service that allows Texans to report suspicious activity, whether it's criminal acts, terror threats, Or someone wanting to harm children. Lest you think that we're stretching it all uh, to say that this is the governor's actual response to the violence in Uvalde. Jeremy, you reached out to the governor's office on Saturday, right, after these protests or as they were playing out. And you asked them, well, what is his response? Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, and and they gave me a statement about like, you know, his compassion for what these families were going through and but pointing out some of the stuff he's been doing on school safety and whatever. And then they gave me a list of all the things he's done. And one of the things in this included the PSAs with Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, <laughs> encouraging yeah. kids to download an app again from Walker, Texas Ranger kids, mind you, like who. You know, Mm -hmm. whatever they 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 hadn't even started school when that show was already off the air. But anyhow, so so
1: well, let's well, hey, hang on, let me put that to the test. Maya, can you name a Chuck Norris movie?
0: Not a single one.
1: Not a single one. Right, and 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 of course, Maya is older than any of the kids you're talking about, Jeremy. Right? How could that be any more out of touch? Yeah.
2: Nothing like a bunch of fifth graders walking around with an app that Chuck Norris told them to send, you know, put on their phone, you know, to just in case they see something because that is what could have.
1: It's a very hip reference. It's like
2: it's just it's it. It'd be comical if it wasn't so real, right? You know, it's like this is really part of the response. This is this has not changed Mm -hmm. anything in the school safety right now. There's like the. Nineteen year old kid who's, you know, torturing cats right now, uh, can go get his gun and do exactly what just happened before. And we can't do anything about it right. until he steps foot on the school campus, I guess. So
1: Unbelievable. Now, even though it's Abbott and the crew who put their fingers in their ears whenever law enforcement would come to the Texas Capitol and say that these gun laws should not be loosened. Abbott's campaign, of course, says that Beto O'Rourke is the one who's anti law enforcement uh, and that he wants to defund the police. Listen to this new advertisement just out from Abbott's campaign.
0: 911, what's your emergency? I need help. I think someone's breaking into my house. Send someone. Anyone, please hurry. I'm sorry. Due to Beto O'Rourke's defund police movement, we have no one to send to help you. Good luck.
1: So, what has Beto said about defunding the police, Jeremy? You've been at a lot of these uh, events with him. Is it something he even brings up? Is something he wants to do?
2: No, no. He it, it definitely isn't something that comes up uh, when he's pushed on. And he'll talk about how he supports reforming the police, uh, but he's mm-hmm. definitely not, you know, using the word defund the police anywhere I've seen it, at least. You know, so if he has used it, it's in a place where I just haven't been yet.
1: Yeah, this topic, as we mentioned before is one of the hits for Republicans. To their credit, it worked very well in the elections in 2020. And I would say that uh, part of the reason that President Biden was able to win at the top of the ticket and Republicans were pretty successful down ballot, not just in Texas, but in other places too, um, was largely because of this criticism of Democrats that they somehow wanted to defund the police. You remember there were very similar advertising uh, advertisements in 2020, where and TV ads and everything else where people are calling 911, And there's nobody there to answer because the police have been defunded, which, of course, isn't happening anywhere. But it's a fear that is being put out there. It's being ginned up. Um, And you've seen, and it's been in the Houston Chronicle and elsewhere, that the comptroller's office, we talked about it last week, uh, had weighed in on whether Harris County defunded the police under Lena Hidalgo's leadership, uh, you know, the the county budget process going on now. And you saw the update is that uh, Harris County is suing, the commissioner's court voted to sue the comptroller over it because the commissioners, who of course are majority Democrat, they said, look, we did not defund the police. This doesn't make any sense. You know, they're looking at constables budgets and the sheriff's budget, the, the complaints that were made to the comptroller were mainly about constables budgets, which again, I come back to asking the question, why do we still have constables in the year of our Lord 2022? Um, we have a pretty robust sheriff's department, especially in a place like uh, Houston and Harris County. Um, Ed Young, who of course is a uh, the church uh well he's the big uh, uh pastor at the mega church in west houston second baptist that's the church where dan patrick and his former business partner steve Hotze they all attend the second baptist and 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 you know second baptist is interesting because it's not like joel osteen's church in in a lot of ways but one of the ways that it's different is that second baptist has uh, these satellite churches You know, it's not all one giant campus, although the the main campus is a big one. Um, Ed Young took direct aim in his sermon. I believe this was this Sunday. uh, He was talking about the Democrats who are in charge of Harris County. And he says they're screwing everything up there when it comes to crime.
3: You see any difference when you put left wing progressives in office? And it's a whole scam. Let me tell you how it works. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if the most liberal city in America, we think, is San Francisco, and they had enough votes to recall an absolutely woke DA, what do we need to do? What do we need to do?
1: The implication is clear. Vote Republican. But... There's a reason he didn't say that exactly, right, Jeremy? He has to be a little careful (laughs) because there is a tax status uh, involved here uh, if if they say vote for this person or that person. But we have seen in other megachurches in Texas where specific candidates for office have been promoted. Immediately people will say get rid of their tax-exempt status. Of course, that goes over like a lead balloon because the vast majority of people do not agree with that, right? That's a third rail kind of thing. Um, But the fact is that this whole defund the police and Democrats aren't serious about crime, it's queuing up to be one of the big defenses for Republicans in this election heading up to November.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This is like, you know, crime in the suburbs, right? This is the thing that they see, like, they've got to win the suburbs back. You know, it's like, if you look at what happened during the Trump era, I'll call it an era. uh, Like, not only did he lose suburban women, but he lost suburban men, too. And Mm -hmm. like the climb to get suburban women back is going to be hard. (laughs) And so but what they can do is at least make a play for suburban men. Uh, And that's why you see Abbott pushing this message. He pushed it up in a country club in Fairview, Texas. They just, you know, also in Collin County on Wednesday when I was with him. Uh, He talked about, you know, defunding the police and got a, you know, a lot of support there for, you know, fighting against it. You know, this Mm -hmm. is an issue that really plays in those communities. So I can totally see them, you know, driving this as what they need to kind of get that turnout in those suburban counties back on their side and keep it from leaking over to Beto O'Rourke. We saw Mm -hmm. it in Fort Bend County, you know, a suburban county that used to go heavily for Republican. Beto O'Rourke won that in 2018. He's in a good Mm -hmm. position to win it again. Where was Governor Abbott last weekend? He was in Fort Bend County trying to get suburban, you know, voters to mm-hmm. kind of think, you know, about him again. And so you see where the battle line is for Republicans. They know, you know, they, they can't do much in most of you know Houston and Austin and San Antonio to win those places mm-hmm. anymore. But what they can do is try to hold on to places like Collin County. You know, try to you know limit their losses in Fort Bend County.
1: It's interesting that you have Beto running around doing these events in small places that, that you followed the campaign and uh, in, the, in the panhandle and East Texas and elsewhere, while Abbott's focusing in on the suburbs. Um, the rural voters of Texas really are the firewall for Republicans in the state, and they saw the evidence of that in 2018, right? They had um, not been taking their own polling seriously I mean, I'm aware that pollsters uh, with Cruz's campaign were sounding the alarm months ahead about this is a close race. And they weren't really taking it seriously until the very end. And that's when you saw, in that last six weeks of the campaign, Ted Cruz going to places like Lubbock, Texarkana, Wichita Falls, etc., to try to shore up that rural vote. And I'm old enough to remember, Jeremy, back in 2014... When Lieutenant Governor Patrick beat David Dewhurst in the Republican primary runoff, and I think it was the next day or the day after that that Alan Blakemore, his consultant, had a uh, had a conference call with reporters. You know, the consultants sometimes don't like to really talk to reporters until they win, and then they want to tell you how they won, right? And Blakemore was very—he was just effusive. He was um, so happy, and he should be. They just won the race. He said that. Patrick performed very well in the state's top 13 or 14 counties. And the the quote that I remember was him saying something like this. He said, you know, where the cows and chickens live, that's where David Dewhurst won. And where the where the actual people are, that's where Patrick won. And I thought, what an inflection point for Republicans in this state to now sort of being sort of making fun of people who live out in the country where well, those are exactly the people that they now need to be able to shore up the votes they need ahead of uh, what may happen this fall. Uh, once again, which is a surging democratic vote, not just in the urban cores, but also in those suburban counties as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and I have a story going in this weekend. You know, at, uh, uh, it's already on HoustonChronicle.com, dot com, but it should be both in the express news in San Antonio and the Houston Chronicle. But you know, yeah, think about like in twenty eighteen. You know, so Ted Cruz, like you said, you know, he goes up in, into the you know, particularly West Texas, up into the Panhandle, and like you know, hits it as hard as he possibly can, right? And so he wins that race by 215,000 votes. More than half of that margin of victory came from, you know, basically Lubbock, Amarillo, and the Texas Panhandle. You know, so the South Plains and Amarillo in the Panhandle were Mm -hmm. the margin of victory. Like they, he needed them. But here's the problem. It's like Abbott needs that too. He needs that same kind of turnout for him. But, you know, like you pointed out, it's like, you know the blue spine in Harris County have added almost a million voters. You know since that time period, and those Republican areas have only added ten thousand. You know, uh, you, so it 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 just brings home the whole reason why you, you know when you see you know Beto work going to these areas in the Panhandle, he's trying to trim those margins, kind of like Abbott's trying to do. You know, trimming those margins in Fort Bend County. It's funny. You know, it's like if if, if people go to that story that I wrote uh, on you know why. Betty worked up in the Panhandle doing all this stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I asked him, "Why are you doing this? Why are you so committed to this idea of going to all mm-hmm. these red places that you know you're going to lose?" And his right, inspiration, stupid
1: to a lot of people.
2: Yeah, his inspiration for this is George W. Bush. No, seriously, it's like of all the people. Like he was telling me, like in the in the nineteen in the 1998 reelection campaign of you know, George W. Bush, he was mm-hmm. in El Paso County. All the time. He says we couldn't right. get rid of the guy. It's like here he's in this blue county that no Republican had won, you know, for a hundred years. And what happens? George W. Bush shows up there all the time, keeps showing up. He won El Paso County. A county no Republican has even topped forty percent since then. Yeah. It's like and W won it. So Beto O'Rourke mm-hmm. is taking his strategy <laughs> straight from the Bush Car Rove world. You know, and going mm-hmm. to these places, well, convinced that he can pull this off.
1: It's interesting. I, one of the uh, one of the guys I learned from years ago, one of my mentors in Houston, who was a radio reporter at the time, a KTSa I think uh, in San Antonio at the time that uh, at the time that the Bush Richards campaign was playing out. Um, and a point that he had made about that race was that Bush was everywhere that he was, he was everywhere across the state. And Governor Richards was nowhere. And that sounds a lot like this year, right? Go, Governor Abbott is kind of nowhere. You know, he's, he's out in Allen. You saw him there. He was in Fort Bend County. You see him there. But you don't see, I mean, even Dan Patrick's got the bus. He's traveling around the state all over the place, 131 cities. You don't see Abbott doing anything like that. Maybe you will. Uh, but George W. Bush was energetic and everywhere. You know who else was energetic and everywhere? In 2020, uh, 20, what twenty twelve? It was uh, Ted Cruz it was everywhere. This guy during the primary was everywhere, and he was able to, as somebody who was solicitor general of Texas, which if you walked onto the street, Maya, and you asked four people randomly, just ask four people. Who is the Solicitor General of Texas? How many of them do you think would know the answer? Zero. Right. Now, now let me ask you another question. How many of them do you think would even know what the Solicitor General of Texas does?
3: Even less than
1: zero. Less <laughs> If it could be less than zero, it would be. That's right. So Solicitor General Ted Cruz beats the sitting lieutenant governor for a U.S. Senate seat, right? Because he was everywhere. Everywhere that there were three Republicans having coffee, Ted Cruz showed up, talked to them, Right. By the way, I do want to mention an event coming because of this uh, this reference to the to the Bush-Richards race. There's a new book out about, uh, about uh, Ann Richards, Book People, in Austin next week, the Ann Richards Legacy Project. They're going to be talking about this book, uh, The One and Only, and that's uh, 7 p.m. September 9th uh, at Book People. I would check it out, but I'm going to be at the Killers concert next Friday. What were we gonna say, Jeremy? I saw your hand. Oh no,
2: no, the, 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 just that whole go everywhere mentality. You know, he who works hardest or she shall win. <laughs> that is like you know the <laughs> it should be every campaigns like It's, yeah, it's like I don't care if you if yeah. you're a Democrat or Republican. You know, working is a good thing. You know, and so and I had that question about you know like the Abbott campaign. Like I mentioned, I was with Abbott in Allen, Texan. Texas going, you know, mm-hmm. I thought we were gonna go door to door throughout that whole neighborhood knocking on doors. It was one door. <laughs> it's like he came yeah. out, he knocked on one door, he graded Maggie Maggie Pitka, who was the homeowner. She was super excited. There was a good little moment. He talked yeah. to the media and then he was gone. He hopped in the car, drove to a country club uh in Fairview and gave a speech to a very hardcore Republican base mm-hmm. in a gated, you know, country club. So it's like it wasn't quite door to door action, like and like I was kind of hassling his campaign about like hey, it's like if y'all are doing mm-hmm. anything this long labor day weekend, I'm game for going wherever y'all are nothing there's there's nothing public on the schedule as of this moment uh I have to O'Rourke in like you know three different cities that I could go to, and Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing that I can go to for Abbott. And I kind of wish it was more so I can tell people what he's saying mm-hmm. on the campaign trail. How is he campaigning? Right. How does he interact with people? It's like, we just don't have that right now. I'm hoping that picks up as we get into the campaign season. But they clearly have a different strategy where they're speaking more, more to limited groups and they're bombing away mm-hmm. on television. You know, it's like you'll see that negative ad well, and I will say, everywhere
1: next week. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. And, and, you know, this is the traditional kickoff of the real campaign season Go, coming out of the Labor Day weekend. Uh, but we have seen already Abbott and O'Rourke both, uh, you know, at least on, a, on the O'Rourke side with some limited television that will ramp up, of course, after Labor Day. Same thing for Governor Abbott. Um, I would also say that Abbott's team, and it's not him doing it personally, but Abbott's team of all the statewide Republican candidates, they have the most robust field operation. They have yes. the block paid block walkers who will be coming to some of your homes, knocking on a door and asking who you're voting for. And believe me, they're not doing that randomly. If you're somebody who i'll I'll venture to say someone who's a little more independent minded and you know your vote might go either way, like somebody like uh, you know a listener of this show, they might knock on your door and ask who you're voting for and try to get you to to go their way. Did you see? The controversy over these uh, signs that are showing up these signs and posters that are showing up at public schools around texas jeremy that say um well they read my my english uh, professor mother would not want me to say that the signs say anything they read <laughs> they read in god we trust you saw this and there are folks who are trolling the idea by showing up with signs that are written in arabic and maybe some other languages as well and uh, putting LGBTQ flags uh, on these uh, on these signs. Now it's it's a new state law that went into effect that uh, says that if somebody donates an In God We Trust sign to a public school, then they have to display it. You saw that, right? Yep. The idea for the signs came from the origin of so many great ideas in Texas. That would be Senator Brian Hughes. In our Texas public schools, we teach the truth about our history. We teach our founding documents. The Declaration of Independence says our rights come from our creator. This is consistent with that. Our national motto been part of American life for over a hundred years. Putting that for students to see, to be reminded of, it just makes sense. This is about coming together as Americans. And we need that now like we haven't in a long time. So coming together sounds like a good idea. But the senator was not happy when some people started to donate signs that are written in other languages, in Arabic, as I mentioned, and in some other languages. And rather than just the Texas and American flag, they also have the pride flag. Now, the bill itself doesn't say that those things can't be on the signs. doesn't say that. The senator wrote a letter to the Texas Education Agency, quote, clarifying his position on what this bill is meant to do, which is, as he put it, to have these signs be in English. This is part of the letter that he wrote, Jeremy. In both the United States Code and Texas Education Code, the motto is set out in quotation marks and is presented in English. Accordingly, the statutory prescription that the motto be displayed as it appears in the statute and with no other words, images, or information limits the legally mandated display of the motto to posters or framed copies presented in English. But it doesn't, but the bill, that's from his letter, but the bill doesn't actually say they have to be in English. It doesn't say that. Now, I'm not a lawyer. However, I do know this if you're a strict constructionist which Brian Hughes says that he is right all the conservatives now are strict constructionists right that that judges and state agencies and whoever else is looking at a law they can't just make up whatever they want about what it says in a in a bill if there was a lawsuit about this and it went up to the supreme court the you know the, the strict constructionist would want the justices to do what they would want them to only read the words that are in the bill and what he meant to say, which is what his letter is, his letter is just him saying, hey, here's what I meant for this to be. I meant for this just to be in English. Well, okay, Senator Hughes, but that's not in the bill. You know who pushed back on this, who I would not have expected? <laughs> State Representative Briscoe Kane from Harris County, who, Jeremy, check me on this. He's no liberal, right?
2: Absolutely correct.
1: <laughs> Kane tweeted out quote i don't care what language it's written in so even amongst the conservatives there is disagreement about this Uh, this is one of those things anytime there is anything uh that's proposed to put in god we trust on something almost all the politicians in texas will vote for it the republican and democrat right i mean but we've now reached a point where people are being creative about this they're having some fun with it and I think the senator may have created something that he can't control.
2: Yeah, it's like you know, he, look, Hughes did a lot of legislation <laughs> in the last two cycles, oh, right? Yes. Like
1: that guy. Had, Maybe not all of it was that well. Yeah, drawn out.
2: he's kind of stretched himself. So, like, if he forgot to uh, put in some specific language to make sure that you can't say "In God We Trust" in Spanish, like you know, I'm sure he can fix that in the next session. So, uh, I'm sure that will be. Right. The next they can one. fix it yeah. then.
1: In the meantime, you know, and I've seen a lot of uh, uh, legal actions, lawsuits play out where uh, the attorneys uh, in a case where they're maybe challenging a law, they will go and watch the actual file video from the legislature and watch the debate about how, you know, how this piece of legislation got created. Um, and, and because they want to be able to argue that, look, the legislative intent was this, right? They, wa- they want to be able to say that when the lawmakers passed this, what came out of their mouths was this argument. But more and more, because of the judicial philosophy that's been pushed by Republicans, this is what Hughes is running into, the judges who are you know elected to state district court judges and federal judges who have been appointed by uh, President Trump and other Republican presidents all the way up to the Supreme Court, their, their judicial philosophy is, is to just throw all that to the side and say whatever is in the bill, the actual text of the bill, that is all that matters. So basically, they should have just rubber stamped all this stuff and not even debated it. Um, you saw that Senator Cruz was very upset with some of these students who are getting their student debt erased. Oh, yeah. He was, um, was not happy about it. But I think he's on something. And I don't think what he's onto to is, um, is his criticism of baristas, who he seems to have – he didn't really care for. Uh, Senator Cruz on his podcast, which again puts him on our level. You would think he'd be working more in the Senate, but instead he's doing a podcast. It's The Verdict with Ted Cruz. I listen, so you don't have to. Cruz said that people who work in coffee shops are slackers who are happy to get this free money from the Biden administration.
2: If you are that, that slacker barista who, who, who wasted seven years in college studying completely useless things, now has loans and can't get a job, Joe Biden just gave you 20 grand like, holy cow, 20 grand that, you know, maybe you weren't going to vote in November and suddenly you just got 20 grand. And, you know, if you can, you know, get off the bong for a minute and 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 head down to the voting station uh, or just send in your mail-in uh, ballot that the Democrats have helpfully sent you, um, it could drive up turnout,
1: hmm. uh, particularly among young people. That's the key. The other stuff is just sort of him, you know, a lot of bluster from 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 Cruz. The key there is that it actually could get young people interested in voting in this midterm election. A couple of thoughts about this, Jeremy. One, I think that younger people maybe have not had a, a good reason to really get out and support Democrats this year so far. But I have heard from a lot of people with student debt who are, you know, in their late twenties, early thirties, especially people saying like, "Hey, you know what? This is a huge deal for me." Now, the uh, Republican pushback on it. Has been interesting. There you have uh, Cruz saying that people who work at Starbucks are basically slackers. I would like to see how Senator Cruz would do if he was working a morning shift at a moderately busy Starbucks and having every Karen in town, and you know what a Karen is, every Karen in town complaining about their order being wrong. He might be in the fetal position behind the counter before it was all over with, not to mention the fact that he'd have to be there at 4 a.m. to open up the shop. Um, num- but number two, did you see, uh, uh Marco Rubio from Florida, the Senator from Florida, his, what he said about it was that the way he was able to pay off his student debt was that he wrote a book and he used the proceeds from the book to be able to pay off student debt. So make sure we're, we're following what he's saying. Kids. If you don't want to have a mountain of student debt, this is real easy. All you need to do is get other people to spend millions of dollars to elect you to the United States Senate so you can then grift off of that and write a book and then you can pay off your $100,000 in student loans, right? Pull yourselves up by your bootstraps already.
2: Yeah, and 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 might I add the people who are working as baristas, you know, or working at Starbucks or any fast food job, those are the people who got, you know, who had Pell grants. You know, and are trying to find their ways to get into college and get it paid for. This student loan forgiveness program is aimed at people who qualify for Pell Grants and thought they were going to get most of their education taken care of, yet the universities and colleges charge them even more than those Pell Grants allowed. And so they had to go into additional debt. These are people who were already struggling. These are the people who were working in the school cafeteria, at the, you know, were working as baristas. So when he's taking a shot at them. It's like, you're talking about like really hardcore working class people. We're not talking about wealthy philosophy student, you know, kids who had everything paid for, uh, and like life life was fine for them. This is like hardworking folk, you know, It's just like, you know, I I don't know. I just have no tolerance for like, you know, throwing shade on the baristas who are working at a coffee shop. Like you said, this is a thankless job. Most days, you know, it's like it is about people complaining about their order and like, you know, why wasn't my pumpkin bread heated to the level I wanted? It? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it's like that is a yes. rough way to kind of make 15, 16, 17 bucks an hour. You know, when Ted Cruz is making that, you know, what, every probably minute, <laughs> you know, by being a U.S. senator. So,
1: well, a Cruz who never does anything for Texans is uh, complaining about people who get coffee to. You know, Texans who need to get going in the morning. Um, Now, as Republicans were slamming this debt forgiveness, the White House did not take it lying down.
0: The White House caused a stir on Twitter Thursday after a series of tweets called out several Republican lawmakers over their criticism of President Biden's student loan forgiveness. The tweets pointed out that some of the critics' businesses had more than 1 million federal loans forgiven as part of the pandemic era paycheck protection program otherwise known as PPP loans.
1: I saw where Senator Paul Bettencourt, uh, one of our listeners, was called out for this by uh, Harris County um, Commissioner Adrian Garcia, as well, uh, in the same fashion as the White House was doing. And uh, Bettencourt was accused of you know, getting one of these forgivable loans after Bettencourt had said that erasing the student debt is basically just a handout for everybody. By the way, that's an aggressive move, from the White House. Have you ever seen the White House do tweets like that where they were just like sort of on the attack against specific Republicans real quick?
2: Yeah, not this White House, but now, you know, clearly, you know, we've kind of crossed into some land where they're like, All right, enough of this. You know, they've been calling they've been doing the uh the old uh let's go Brandon right, you know, F Joe Biden thing for so long. And they're like, Okay, we're done with this. Now we're gonna F MAGA. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, um, fun
1: fun fact I learned this week. So, the new White House director of social media platforms uh, is Angela Krasnick, who is from Texas. So, the daughter of a state representative from Houston. Did you know that? I did not know that. Okay, so the way not, the way I found out is that that state representative texted me to let me know because she's a real proud mama. Um, representative Christina Morales. From Houston, Texas. Uh, Angela, her daughter, left Instagram where she was working before back in April. And now she's the one at the White House who's coming up with these (coughs) snappy tweets. So (laughs) Um, she wanted everybody to know just how proud she was of her girl for uh, basically for trolling all these Republicans and, 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 and just giving it to them. Now, I would say that it does seem that the White House is, as you said, you know, taking the aggression to another level. You saw the president last night uh, on Thursday uh, give a speech from where was he in Philadelphia, a primetime speech on threats to democracy and all of that. And I was thinking about the fact that Democrats are in so many ways. You know, whether it's the Beto O'Rourke campaign, the Mike Collier campaign, uh, you have President Biden really you know getting involved uh, in a way that you don't normally see uh, a president do. You know, in the midterm when they probably expect to see a in or as, uh, as George W. Bush, who we mentioned earlier, he called it a Texas thumping when, uh, when the Republicans lost in 2006, right, when he, during one of his midterms. Um, I was thinking about it this way, Jeremy. President Biden is in some ways not the only president whose record is on the ballot. Have we ever previously seen the former guy, the, per- the president who came right before the current president, have we ever seen that person loom as large in an election as right now?
2: Absolutely not. Typically, those you know former presidents you know want a low profile and kind of go chill out, mm-hmm. and they're you know, and then you see their their poll ratings, their approval ratings start to go up after they've been in office. But right. in Trump's case, mm-hmm. you know, look what the Biden you know camp has decided to do. It's like okay, we're going to drag this guy back on stage and make sure mm-hmm. this is a referendum, not just on us, but maybe also on him. And what this really hits at is like the The base of the Democratic Party, they want to see Joe Biden and the left punching back and not doing this. Oh, we're going to take the high roll, high road as Fox News shreds mm-hmm. us every day. And it's like no, now they're like no, no, no. We're we're, we're not going to take the high road. <laughs> we're going to come mm-hmm. right into your living rooms in a fiery red background and just t- let you know what we think of MAGA every single day now. Yeah. So
1: yeah i I think um you know six months ago it was a very different political environment the you know the president's his poll numbers are not great the economic picture looked worse than it does now i'd say there's some improvement in that but it's still you know it's still a question mark the economy is still you know a big concern for people of course but there are all these other issues that are on the table as well some of the ones we've been talking about with gun violence uh, abortion rights uh, you know in texas the electricity grid and a few other things but with trump being you know such a key figure in american politics right now um, it's almost like he's getting another shot at a midterm for himself right and and you know traditionally the uh, the party in the white house gets just whacked in the midterms right it, it's not always the case but it's rare that that doesn't happen right I mean one example was uh, the Republicans right at, you know in the next election after 911. Uh, yeah. Right, so that, that that's one of them. When there was all this unity in America, behind the president uh, and behind the wars that had gotten started at that time, it was it was a real unifying thing. Uh, whether you later agreed with it or not, there were a lot of debates later about you know whether or not we should have been uh, in Iraq and how long we were in Afghanistan. Um, but I think that if you have a midterm for President Biden, where his party traditionally should not do well, but you also kind of have the second midterm for Trump, that means that Republicans might not do well in part based on that, which kind of evens the playing field and things may not turn out the way anybody expected, you know, just a few months ago. Yeah.
2: Midterm elections are historically so much more about your base than even in a presidential election. You know, presidential elections, you're going to get a lot of general voters and you kind of have to kind of work through them. But in the midterm elections like this, where you have governor races and, you know, no presidential race on there, it's like, you better come with a A fired up base. That's what's going to save you. And you see both of them are doing this. You know, it's like you see like in, in, you know, in Governor Greg Abbott, you know, bringing out those issues that, you know, that, you know, Trump really kind of helped, you know, bring to light, you know, defund the police, you know, build the wall, you know, build the, you know, You know, do everything on the border. Like those things are firing up his base to get them the vote. Uh, And so, what's Biden's response? You know, to all of this, Biden is like doing his you know ground cover now. Is going after MAGA, and it's like, and what fires up the Democratic base? You know, making sure Donald Trump never gets to the White House ever again that's an effective message to get the hardcore base of the democratic party like fired up. and so you see it, like this is the game now. this is the game to fire up your base and hope to heck you have more people on the field than they do. you know and i think that's kind of what the gamble uh that you know biden now is making like look we know there are more people who voted for joe biden than donald trump. right. get them to, to the polls. how do you get them to the polls? show some fight, you know, and i think that's what we're seeing.
1: show some fight and do what Senator Cruz alluded to, which is fire them up by, you know, giving them something on student debt. There you go. It's not everything It's for the young people. It's not everything that, you know, the young folks wanted, but at least it – is the president making a decision on that? You know, I think one of the things that was really hurting Biden on the student debt question was that it just sort of kept being a question, right? There was so much deliberation about it. What's he actually going to do? And um, I see Republicans saying that, oh, guess what? You, you think you didn't have student debt, but now you do because you're going to be taxed for it in the years to come. I, I, I mean, I get that argument intellectually. However, politically, it's not quite the same as somebody who suddenly doesn't have to make payments anymore. Right. I mean, so, I mean that that's that's a real world consequence uh, and and a good one uh, in their, in those in the estimation of those folks um, that would just happen instantly.
2: Yeah, exactly. And remember, these aren't just your college kids, you know, who are going. This is also a very labor union intensive world too. Think about the nurses, you know, who have gone through, you know, community colleges or <laughs> like, you know, went to those for profit schools and got saddled with all that debt, you know, after they blew through all the, you know, the the Pell grants. Like this speaks to them too, you know. It's like into teachers, you know. It's like who have also. It's like so. This is a, a much bigger you know deal than I think people understand. It's like you know this yeah. this is isn't just philosophy majors who's you know you know wasted away you know eight years in, <laughs> in college this is like just literally teachers and nurses who are trying to get you know advancement in their lives those are right. the people who need student loan debt you know paid back because they don't get paid enough like we know that we know that teachers are getting paid ridiculously low amounts of wages for all they went through to get those degrees so
1: yeah if this is your first time to listen to this riveting discussion, first time to listen to this show, then here's what you need to do on your, if you're probably listening on your phone, if you're listening on your iPad or whatever else you can do this, just click the subscribe button and here's what'll happen. Every week, the show just shows up on your device without you having to do anything. Is that right, Maya? She's better at the technical stuff than I am. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever your favorite platform is. Maybe you discovered this by listening to it on the Houston Chronicle website, but you don't like to have to go to the site. Don't don't worry about that. Just go to any one of those platforms I mentioned. Hit the subscribe button and you're good to go. Tell three friends. They'll tell three friends. And then that group probably needs to tell four or five friends each. It would be a personal favor to me. You can uh, find Jeremy's work at HoustonChronicle.com. You can always check me out uh, at QuorumReport.com, and we will see you next time.